You are listening to a Hippily Horror Stories Patreon bonus preview. If you like what you're hearing, stick around to the end to find out how you can get more. Tracy, we are here for the October edition of the Patreon bonus episode. Are you excited? I am so excited. Ninja was excited a minute ago. (laughs) 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 It's a whole different ballgame. Anyways. Just a visual is all I'm saying. (laughs) So this is coming out, it's October 15th, and I like to do something sometimes different with these episodes like we did last month. Remember we did the games that you could, uh, the online, or the paranormal games that you could do, and mm-hmm. we did the hiding in the corner and all that <laughs> stuff going on. And this one's going to be a little more like a regular episode, but it's not going to be an in-depth. It's going to be a bunch of snippets because I found a bunch of poltergeist stories from all over the world that weren't i mean they're not even enough to do a short Mm -hmm. on most of them i mean they're literally like a paragraph but i did snag some of them and put them all together for like a compilation of poltergeist activity that's happened all over the world from way back cool you still got that glitter on your head by the way that's okay you're supposed to gotten that off i didn't sorry go ahead it's like distracting me (laughs) all right so i'm gonna be surprised if anybody has heard any of these stories. Well, I'm going to, you know, I don't know none. Isn't that the truth? You didn't even remember that we went to the museum with, uh, when we did the short, when we did the Florida museum that had uh, Robert Dahl in it. You're like, never heard of it. Except for the fact we were there eight months ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if you had said Robert Dahl, I just can't remember like the names of places. That's all. I guess. So we often hear the term. Things that go bump in the night. You've heard that several times, right? Oh, yeah. A parapsychologist will often attribute these things to poltergeist. So in German, poltergeist, for the most part, it translates to a noisy ghost. That's what poltergeist means in Germany. Tracy, there have been reports of poltergeist activity going back centuries from every situation from big places like modern New York to mud huts in Africa. Wow. That probably would have worked out better if I had some of the stories from the Mud Huts in Africa, but I don't. <laughs> but I just know that's just the case. That's what you caught on the fly, huh? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so to most poltergeist encounters are kind of a terrifying experience, as you could imagine. Oh, yeah. Uh, they do everything possible to get the entity to leave, but usually the activity just has to run its course. You know, and we've seen when we've talked about this poltergeist activity, and more times than not, it's usually a couple of weeks to a couple of months, and that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, So you don't get stuck with it for years. In other cases, though, there have been situations where the activities went on for as much as three years, and we're going to talk about one of those cases a little bit later in the show. But a poltergeist will usually introduce itself by uh, some banging on the walls, some knocking, stuff like that, banging on some pipes. It's usually some kind of banging on something. Hmm. That's what she said. Now, these knocks are, for the most part, only heard from within the home. But in France, in December 1913, the noise in the... I'm going to butcher this, I'm sure. Huguet Prosto family home were so loud that the neighbors across the street, which was over 60 yards away, could hear the banging. Oh, my gosh. The house would shake from top to bottom. The partitions vibrated violently, and as well as the uh, doors and the windows. So according to some very reliable witnesses, it sounded like thunder off from a distance. Mm-hmm. 
they had one of these canopy type beds and it had the curtains all around it. The curtains would shake and blow as if like there was a window open or something and a breeze coming through, but there were no windows and there was no breeze felt inside at all. Well, that's a little scary. <laughs> People that were unconnected with the house decided they were coming to do some experiments and stuff. So for example, they would knock on the walls in a certain number of times, like they would knock three times or four times. The same number of knocks would be returned, only the sound was different. It was like the acoustics were way off. Instead of it sounding like it was coming like from the wall they were knocking mm-hmm. on, it literally sounded echoey, and it sounded like it was coming from the entire house all at one time. Oh, dude, no way. Yeah. It was very loud, very muffled mm. type sounds. Was it noises or just... Or, or it was, was the, it also voices? At that point in time, it was just the knocks that they okay. were doing. So no voices ever were recorded here. It was just noises, mm-hmm. strange noises. So one night, some of the men, they decided they were going to go up to the, the garret of the house, you know, which is kind of like a, an eaves type yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. So they were going up to the garret. And as soon as they got up there, they started feeling this shaking going on. Mm-hmm. Like the house was shaking. And they started hearing these strange noises. And at that point in time, they just got turned around and left and forgot about the experiment they were going to do. Oh, my God, I'd be out there in a minute. Yeah, they went down there. Now, as they were leaving to come back down, they had, I guess, flashlights, and they became really weak, and they almost shut themselves completely off. So they hurried, like I said, got back down the steps. The noises and the shaking stopped after a few days. So this wasn't a long time situation. It was only a couple of days. That this happened. So it was not an earthquake because there was tests done to determine that. Uh, they came out and checked out like the sewer system and uh, the gas lines and everything underneath to make sure there wasn't something from the pipes or something causing the problem. And they were unable to find out what made the house shake or what noises that had ever happened. Oh my goodness. That is so wild. That's crazy. Yeah. Because that would have been And my... then it just didn't happen anymore. No couple days that was all it was and no kind of test showed any kind of problems under the house or anything that would have been causing it maybe what was there was buried under the house unearthed itself and then well, when it got out they didn't say anything about anything being buried under the, the house though. but it could have been could have been i guess yeah once it got out the shaking stopped they're like i'm free <laughs> here's something a fun fact that has absolutely nothing to do with this but i recently found this out so i'm sharing it we mentioned the canopy bed mm-hmm do you know how canopy, or why the, not how, but what the reason for canopy beds being invented were? No. Back in the early, early days, and we're talking, you know, 12, 13, 1400s, a lot of houses had thatch roofing. And thatch roofing is pretty much leaves and stuff oh. like that. So what would happen is animals would get up into thatch roofing. They're really, I mean, there wasn't anything to keep them from just burrowing in and making nests and stuff like and that. And they pooped on them? Well, sort of. They, from all the rustling around up there, the bed would have, you go to, after you made the bed and you get ready to go to bed at night, it would be all kinds of leaves and straw and everything else from where they were moving around. And there sometimes would be feces and stuff like that. So they invented the canopy to keep stuff from falling on your bed. Isn't that something? I had no idea that that's what that was. I didn't either. That's what Barney said. Oh, a bed with a fringe on it. That's so kissy. (laughs) <laughs> of course it went back to Andy Griffith I did not know that that is so fun I learned a lot of fun facts the other day and that was one of them well that's so neat I also learned the fact that um, there was another one about the roof too but I can't remember what it was but I learned 
the that people would only bathe once a year, and that was usually in May, one time a year. That would be May. Well, that's gross. Why? And well, I'm I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. They would only bathe once a year, and it was in April, which was. No, wait a minute. I don't remember what month it was. It was May. I was right. So I screwed this completely up. But anyway, people would only get bathed once a year, and that was in May. And that's why they had June weddings all the time. That's why that's a thing is because most of the time they still smelt halfway decent compared to what they would at the end of the year. So that's why they had the weddings in June because that was the month after that. And to go along with that, that's why the woman would carry, the the uh, woman getting married would carry, the bride would carry the okay. okay of flowers. To take some of the smell away? Take some of the smell away. So that's how that, that became That is ridiculous. So on top of the bathing, I like how we got completely off topic, it goes. On top of the bathing, we've all heard of the, the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. This is because in the household, they had a pecking order when you would take baths. So when the water was hot and fresh, the husband would take the bath first. And then any males in the house would then take a bath. Then the women, then the children, and the baby came last. So a lot of times by the time the baby got its bath, that is the water was filthy and it was Ugh. dirty. So that was this, and you, and you and it would be so hard to even see the baby in it. And that's where the saying, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater came. That, why? <laughs> what in the world? Because you know. Don't they have a creek? I'd well, rather bathe in the creek than not at all. But you got to realize that back in the early days, a lot of people felt that bathing was unhealthy for you. They thought to bathe on a regular basis was unhealthy. And there's still people today that say that you shouldn't bathe more than two or three times a week. Okay, I I totally get that, and I understand that. Sometimes bathing a lot dries your skin out, blah, 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 all kinds of different things. But once a year is a little extreme. (laughs) I agree. I don't know how you stand next to each other, period. How you do that? And then, you know, that's why they used to wear the powdered wigs and stuff all the time was because they didn't wash their hair and their hair would be a mess. They would wear the powdered wigs. Well, I'd probably do that too then. I mean, you know. I think I would have came up with a better looking wig then. Well, that's true. All right. This case is from 1984. It's in Pinetown, Natal, which is in South Africa. So the event we're going to discuss happened on New Year's Day. 14-year-old Wendy Roos, she heard a loud noise. And she thought that the house was actually caving in. It was so loud. It sounded like a large boulder had crashed on the roof. At least that's what she thought. But nothing was ever found that could have caused the disturbance, and there was also no damage done of any kind. So this was going to set the stage for future events here in the house. Mysterious bangings in the house can be annoying, as you would imagine. Mm -hmm. Even unnerving. But what if you're laying in the bed and those noises are coming from below you as if an intruder had broken into the house. I don't know which is worse. Probably that one. Well, that's what happened to another family in South Africa in 1901. So this happened to a family of farmers in the town of Boshoff. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. So they would be awakened in the middle of the night, right around midnight. And it was the sounds of pots and pans being thrown all around in the kitchen. The sound of dishes being smashed, broken, and after a few minutes, it just stopped, and it was all quiet again. Well, they were too scared to go down and check it out. Mm-hmm. But the following morning, they went down there and, and had worked up enough nerve 
they go in to check it out, and there was not one thing out of place, not one thing broken. Keep in mind, this went on for several minutes. And there's some of those sounds are, you know, when you hear them, you know what they are. Yeah. You know what the sound of pot and pans well, and, sure. and glasses and dishes breaking are. This happened for three straight nights. Each night was was even more severe than the night before. By the third night, it was the sound of heavy furniture being overturned, as well as the pots and the pans and the dishes and stuff being strewn around. In every case, there was no sign of a ruckus, nor were there any items that were broken. I mean, how is that? It just don't even seem possible. <laughs> Three straight nights, each night worse than, than the one before. Mm. Well, at least they didn't have a mess to clean up. I guess that's the positive. That's true. That's uh, that's pretty creepy, though. Now, unfortunately, with most of these poltergeist cases, that's not going to be the true case. You're going to have when things broken and stuff like that. That's, it happens a lot. Property, including furniture, is often damaged or destroyed in poltergeist cases. Now, this case from Ireland in 1916 is a perfect example of that. So the family was so disturbed by this instance that, by the way coincided with the death of their youngest child that the father wrote a letter to a a, uh, sergeant of the Royal Irish uh, Constabulary. What's that? I guess that that was their police department. Oh, okay. Because this was back in the early 1900s. So here's the letter that he wrote. I'm going to read it word for word. Sergeant, I am in great trouble. I came to town today to arrange for the funeral of my youngest child. I am suffering terrible annoyance in my house night and day for almost a week. Some unseen spirit is wrecking my house, throwing cooking utensils, absolutely breaking Delph. By the way, Delph. I had to look that up. Yeah. It's like crockery. So it's like stoneware, like crockery and stuff like that. Oh, interesting. They called it Delph back then. It flung a bottle of ink over my dying child, hurled a heavy glass salt cellar at a mirror in the sick room and broke a valuable tea set of old china that my wife was carrying downstairs for safety. She was about halfway down the stairs with the china in her apron when the whole lot was completely smashed. In my presence as well as that of a few friends who had come to the wake. I'm going to break playing again. Do you know why they call it a wake? In England... There were so many people, this goes way back, there were so many people that were dying, or they thought they had died, that they would bury them, and then they had to go back and dig up a bunch of coffins, and they found like a a fourth of them had scratch marks on the inside. So they had started deciding that they would take the body and they would place it by the gravesite for three days in case they woke up. Oh my gosh. So that's why they called it Awake. And it also stemmed from them putting the bells and the yeah. and all that stuff out to be able to do oh, that. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. So back to the letter. Sorry. I just, when I saw that, I thought that's about that. So, that's so bizarre. The day previous to the death of my child, myself and the servant were churning in the kitchen when the butter was taken from the churn and some of it thrown against the ceiling at 10 feet high. <laughs> I found some of the broken china in my buyer some 30 yards away, which buyer is a uh, like a shed that they kept cattle in. Oh, okay. The sergeant goes to visit the farmer, and he was skeptical. So he sits down at the kitchen with the farmer, 
the farmer's wife, and the daughter. And he was just kind of waiting for something to happen, right? I'll paraphrase what the sergeant wrote. He had a letter to it, but rather than read it exactly. He said while they were sitting at the table that he saw seven or eight pieces of bacon that was suspended near the ceiling. So I guess it was like they were hanging it up to cure or something. Oh, okay. So they were holding, you know, seven or eight pieces of bacon, which were probably bigger pieces of pork, not like the little thin pieces like the way you do. (laughs) But he said he saw this bacon sitting up there near the ceiling, and he saw two horse collars that were hanging on pins in the wall that were over top of the fireplace. He said he would be satisfied if something paranormal was going on, if one of something like that, one of those things would kind of either come off the wall or he would, that he would want to see something, those two things, but he didn't tell anybody that Mm -hmm. because he didn't want them to influence it. But in his mind, that's what he was thinking. You know, if you want to prove yourself, make something either happen to the bacon or these horse collars. So at the time, the servant and her daughter then walks in and joins them. So after about 30 minutes of of nothing happening, the sergeant decided, yeah, I guess nothing's really going on here. I'm going to leave. So the women and children left the room. They went all the way across the kitchen and uh, went out the front door, the door that was at the kitchen. So the sergeant stood up to leave. And like I said, the the women and the children said, hey, if you're leaving, we're not going to stay here. Yeah. They're only staying there. So he said, okay, fine. You know, we'll all leave together. So they get up, and and the woman and the children, they start towards the back door. Servant left first, then the two children, then the farmer's wife, and then the farmer. Then the sergeant was the last to get to the door. As he got there, coming all the way across the the kitchen, he kept an eye on the full kitchen. So he was, even as he was leaving, he was still keeping an eye. He was still looking, yeah, I'm blaming. Suddenly, right before he left the door, One of the horse collars not only flew out the wall, but across the entire kitchen and landed on the floor with a smack. Mm. The farmer turned to the sergeant, and they both kind of examined the horse collar. They went over and checked it out. And the farmer said, you must now believe. Mm -hmm. And the sergeant said, yes. (laughs) You bet your sweet ass I do. That's what he said. (laughs) So then they went into the yard And they headed towards the main road out there. There was a pitchfork that was thrown across the yard with unseen hands towards them. Well, hell, that's awful. (laughs) What the heck? So then the farmer eventually built a new house on the same property, but it was some distance away from the house with the activity. Did that work? I I don't know. That's all I I said. A lot of these stories I have, that's like the longest story that I have. Oh, my gosh. But that's all I know about it. Yeah, I don't. I've been out of that damn house a long time ago, for sure. So poltergeist activity like this is fairly common. We've seen stuff fall off walls, blah blah blah. Yep. But sometimes you just have normal objects that move around rather than just having stuff falling around, and they usually move around fairly slow where people can see them move. But sometimes these objects will pass through. Walls and doors, and you don't know how it happened. That's the ones that usually people don't see, but it freaks them out even more. Like there's a place in uh, Paracene, Virginia. It was an elderly woman's house. She was a widow. Her name was Beulah Wilson. She lived there with her nine-year-old foster child. So the poltergeist outbreak here started on December 19, 1976. 
typical dishes flying away, all that stuff. We already know that. Those things happen. But then what happened was very large pieces of furniture started to move. Police were called in, and one of the investigating officers, Trooper uh, Pritchett, he reported that the furniture was so big, it was like old-timey chairs, kitchen cabinets, which he estimated weighed at least 200 pounds a piece or more. Wow. He said that there was absolutely no way possible that the nine-year-old boy could have moved it. He knew the elderly woman couldn't do it, and he didn't think even if they worked together, they could have moved these items. So the ghost have been working out. Yeah, but I mean that's like that's all I have of that story. Yeah, that's all there was. So <laughs> it's, it was easier to just make a. They do not want to speak of it anymore. Right. I mean, so I mean, I couldn't do a story that that's not even big enough to do a short. <laughs> in another poltergeist report in Berkshire, England, 1975, there was a family, and this one is is really unique. The cars in the driveway would move out of order. So they would come in and park it, like they would park the one car and then they'd park another car behind it. And then one of the cars would move every night for a week. Like it would be blocked in, but now all of a sudden it's moved sideways as much as nine feet sideways. And not only that, it moved silently across gravel with the doors locked with the emergency brake on. So how about that? So you got, so picture Two or three cars in a driveway, and the next time you come out, the car in the front is now sideways and nine feet further across gravel, like maybe sitting in a yard or something, with the emergency brake on, and nobody went out there and moved it. I mean, unless, you know, I can't even think people of in the middle of the night just playing a prank could have done it, maybe. I mean, I guess that's possible, but you'd have to pick, you'd have to have a lot of people to pick a car oh, yeah, and move it without yeah. somebody hearing it. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure that's very logical that that could be the case. Like I said, sometimes these objects move through objects. You don't necessarily see it. You see ghosts sometimes move through objects. But how many times have you heard, oh, I lost my keys, and then it turned up in the refrigerator, and I have no mm-hmm. no idea how that could have happened. Well, yeah. it had to pass through the refrigerator door, or something had to open the refrigerator door, or something like that. Mm-hmm. So from 1927 to 1930, there was a poltergeist in India that they named the Pune Poltergeist. This one was particularly active and an unusual one. One of the witnesses was a, a lady by the name of Miss Cohn. And she lived in this household with the Ketkar family. She kept a diary and recorded some of the various experiences. On July 19, 1938, she wrote, and I'm going to try to read this in Indian. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, what? My God, that gets us in so many trouble every time I've tried to do something like oh, that. Oh, Lord, no. So I, was, I just want to see what you had to say. <laughs> Anyway, at 9.30 p.m., while I, this is from her diary, by the way. At 9.30 p.m., while Dee was going to bed, some of his toys became active. My sister took care that the lid of his wooden toy box was properly shut. Dee and I had gotten into bed when a wooden wheel came pelting into the bed. He dodged it as it came very near his head. He is compelled to dispense with a mosquito net owing to the furious nature of the occurrence last April when stones and toys would appear inside his net just after he had been tucked safely in. So the April before, he apparently used to have like a mosquito net all the way around his bed. This was, you know, obviously in India in Mm -hmm. the 30s or whatever. So I imagine that was malaria and stuff was probably a big concern. Mm -hmm. 
But because stuff was appearing inside of it, he decided he didn't want to have a net around. So he took it off the bed. Oh. So that's so now things are just being thrown straight to him. Yeah. No net. So it said the memory of these horrors has made him nervous of mosquito nets of the present. The wheel was followed by a spinning top. I got fed up and fetched an enormous German dictionary weighing about five pounds, and I placed this upon the toy box and got into the bed again. Two minutes had not elapsed when another top, not the same as the one before, came toward us again out of the toy box. I called my sister's attention to the heavy dictionary. She looked into the box to see what toys remained in there, and there were still several. After a moment, when she had just left the room, the same top as the first came out as if to mock our vain imagery that a mere dictionary would prove an obstacle. (laughs) So think about this. You're laying in the bed. You've got toys being thrown at you. They're coming from a toy box, so you put a five-pound dictionary on the top to keep it from going, and things are still coming out. So it would have to pass in that situation. Through the toy box. Through the toy box, even though the lid's on there. So yeah. that's that's just a very hard concept to imagine because if you've got, I mean, like say you're holding a cup and a phone, if you bump that phone into the cup, it's just going to bounce. How does it? How are you able to get it out? I don't know. It's, it's a cocky ghost. <laughs> it's, well, it seems physically impossible. Yeah, it does. Thing. You know. All right. A similar occurrence took place in Vachendorf, West Germany in 1948. There's a refugee family from Bohemia. They were staying in a room of, of this very old mansion that had several moon, rooms, and they were staying in one of them. They were also the victim of poltergeist activity. On this occasion, though, there were two beds in the room. And they were bombarded with stones, tools, and other objects. The mother put the tools away in a toolbox, closed it, and sat on it. To her surprise and amazement, she saw the tools appear one by one in various parts of the of the room. That is crazy. So you're sitting there sitting on this tool on this toolbox, and the tools you just put in there, you see just randomly uh-uh. appear. Yeah, and those things hurt. I'm sure they got banged in the head with one of those. That's what she said. Uh Uh-huh. Well. I know. We're even. We're even. (laughs) There was another occasion in the house when her husband was hit in the head by a wooden shoe that had been in a closed glass cupboard. (laughs) That's what he gets for having a wooden shoe. In the Nikikine case, also in West Germany in 1968, Items went missing indoors, only to be seen later falling outside of the house. So one of the investigators decided he was going to do a little test. He placed perfume bottles and pill bottles on the kitchen table, and he sent everyone outside. He closed all the doors, all the windows, and then he went outside with the others. Soon, a perfume bottle was seen up rooftop level. Then a pill bottle was seen. They were both sitting at the roof level, and then they made their way down to the ground in a zigzag motion. That's the weirdest crap ever. So think about that. You just got your stuff. Whatever whatever you have just go missing in the house, you look out, and now it's raining the objects that have been missing from your house. <laughs> I don't know what to say about all this. This is, this is pretty bizarre. So anyways, that's our little extra bonus episode. Well, that was good. Well done, babe. 
I want to throw this out about the book. So the, if you pre-ordered the book already on um, the, the Kindle ebook, it was due to be released on the 31st. That has now been changed to the 17th. So if you ordered one, you're actually going to get it in a couple of days. I think that's Saturday. Oh. Yeah. So that, cause I, I thought was you able, meant November. I was like, what? No, so I was able to, re, to redo the uh, pre-order date. So originally it was the 31st. Now it's the 17th. So oh, if you cool, got, man. So if you ordered it, you'll have it in... Uh, well, today's the 15th, yeah. yeah. You'll have it in two days on Saturday. Well, very cool. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah. And there's eight tickets left for Bobby Mackey's if you... Snatch them up, y'all. Snatch them up. Because we're excited. All right, guys. That's an it. That's an it? That's an it. Mm. That's an it, though. That means we got to go eat Italian. That means Ooh. we're craving it. I'm Anyways. Not a, really? Are no. you really? No. Oh. I'm always craving Italian. Well, I know this. I love Italian. All right. Well, I love you. I love you, too. And I love you guys. Yeah, we love all you guys. Keep it spooky. It's Halloween month. Only yeah, a yeah. Weeks. Woo, woo. Hey, guys, if you like what you just heard, we do six of those small bonus episodes every single week. We also do two full-length bonus episodes every month. We do a listener stories episode and then a story that's just, just like the ones you would typically hear on the regular feed. If you're interested in supporting us on Patreon, just go to patreon.com and look up Hillbilly Horror Stories or go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com and there's a direct link right there. Thank you guys so much for what you do for us.